Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first, and their covered wagons, they find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to the Future Tech Podcast. I am Alan Thomas. I'm joined here today by James Strickland. CEO of Viridium. How you doing, James? Hi, oh, yeah. thanks very much for having me. Oh, no problem. No problem. Let's let's just jump right in it. Uh, tell us about the company. Who are you? What do you guys do? Yeah, so so Viridium is uh, is an identity and access management company, um, and we are uh, you know have a core competency around biometrics. So the big focus for Viridium is is how we can make biometrics accessible to the masses. Um, and have that as a, a strong authentication capability um, so that we can, you know, remove the fraud, remove the friction um, and have biometrics as a way of authenticating into different data sets, different user examples um, and, uh, and different service levels. Um, we're about three and a half years old, four years old now. Um, we've been building this in, uh, you know, in an incredible uh, environment, specifically around technology. So. It's been a heavy tech focus, and uh, and we recently came out of uh, of our uh, our stealth kind of periods, um, you know, with Viridium as uh, as our brand name, and uh, and now working with lots of enterprises on a global basis. And so, what what is it that that brought that, what is it that, that spurred the founding of the company? Were you already in biometrics, or were you in some other field first, or what what brought that about? So yeah, I mean, it's a great uh, it's a great question. So I, I'm a former um, IT strategy guy from from the banking world, so both at JP Morgan 
um, and then also a corporate venture investor at HSBC. So I've been on the consumption side of this market for the you know last kind of seven years or so, um, seeing how technologies you know are you know are delivered and how they're consumed, and obviously you know seeing some great companies and also some shocking ones too. Um, I was fortunate enough to uh, to run into Viridian when when we were looking for a solution at the bank at HSBC around legal non-repudiation. Um, you know, a big buzzword, but basically what we wanted to be able to do was assert authority to a transaction that, that had happened within the bank. So what we wanted to be able to do is ensure that, you know, as Alan places a transaction or as Alan um, accesses a certain degree of content, that we had no, we had a sort of non-refutable way of being able to validate it was definitely Alan. And then it wasn't, uh, you know, a man in the middle or it wasn't some other form of, uh, of get out. So I was fortunate enough to run into the company and I fell in love with the technology. Um, and I felt I could add, you know, some value around building the business strategy out and, uh, and bringing this thing out from, from a great R&D into a great company. Right. And so I know, you, I know you mentioned it a little bit a little earlier, but you would say the ultimate goal or ultimate mission of Viridium is to make biometrics just accessible to everyone, correct? Yeah, it is. And, and you know, if you imagine, you know, biometrics have been around for, for 15, 20 years, you know, uh, you know, the, the password has been around for 15, 20 years as well. Um, but equally, biometrics have not been, you know, massively accessible. Um, so what we wanted to be able to do was really lower the, the entry point, um, make sure that hardware wasn't uh, prohibiting the, the adoption and the utilization of biometrics, and also that operating systems didn't, again, prohibit the utilization. So what we wanted to build was you know, a multi-OS, you know, cross-platform, low hardware requirement, software-only basically biometric consumption, so that we could then start to use biometrics in a more effective fashion, you know, both for simplification you know of access to, to certain content but also for forms of authentication that would mean that we could uh ensure it was the activity or the individual um and it, that these things would stand up in court if required and so let's let's get into that a little what what would be a what would be a good example of a place that you would like to see biometrics start to be used where they're not being used now today yeah i mean that's that's one of the passions for for me of being here so you know obviously as a former uh, former banker, you know, we've struggled and the, the market continues to struggle with, with you know, helping the unbanked get on board. Um, and a lot of that challenge is, you know, is down to the cost of actually onboarding clients, you know, far reaching locations, you know, non-branch kind of capable access. You know, if you imagine Senegal is a great example where there's 140% mobile penetration, but less than 30% banked population. So, you know, there's something fundamentally wrong there. Um, you know, and I see biometrics as a way of, of being able to, you know, eradicate some of those challenges. You know, if you imagine you could do a biometric onboard, um, you could do a matching against a, you know, trusted source to validate who you are, which is much of the problem in terms of um, uh, helping the unbanked. And therefore, you could make banking far more accessible and digitalize that entire experience. You know, banks want to, to be able to bring these clients on board. You know, they've just been sort of cost um, strung thus far to be able to do that. Um, and now I think we have ways and fashions and means, you know, with things like biometrics to be able to enable that to the masses. And so when an institution or a bank comes to Viridium for your services, the, what's, the, what's that 
onboarding process like for them? Is there, does it start with some kind of evaluation or, or what does that look like when they come to you? Well, you know, I'd love to say they roll up and they write us a huge check, right? And uh, <laughs> and then we uh, then we all sit back and we're super happy. But you're at, I mean, you're right. You're, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's clearly a credibility element that we all need to go through. So we spend time, you know, identifying the use cases for the client. Um, and those can, you know, those can be internal use cases and using biometrics, you know, access, so you log onto your systems, you know, right through to how the client interact with their client bases to be able to identify, simplify, and secure their sort of transactions. So there's a lot of there's a lot of use case, you know, definition work that needs to happen, which is the, you know the best way for us to ensure that we all meet the, the right goals, and then we want people to test the product, you know. We do best when, you know, our clients are playing with the products, you know, and they have it in their hands. Um, so we're big proponents of making sure that we give, you know, good pilot, good, you know, POC type periods to our clients so that they can actually really embed this into their world. And then we take the big leap, right? You know, then we bring this thing into, you know, testing environments that then proceed into production environments. And, and that's when obviously the rubber hits the road in terms of us being out in front of clients, really standing behind our, our quality of uh of software and, and obviously being proud of the outcome. And, and I know we've talked uh, up to this point really about institutions using software, using using the devices and software, but uh, are there ever any plans to actually take it directly to consumers or specifically to, to stay with, like you said, like banks and other types of institutions? Yeah, and it's a, it's a good point. And, you know, what we've what we've done is is sort of twofold so far. We've been focused in the early days on on delivering to the enterprise, so the B two B, which obviously then ends up becoming the B two B two C. So the, the institution delivering to their endpoint, and that might be a you know a media company or a pharmaceutical company or a bank. Um, but equally, as time goes on, we've wanted to make sure you know our software is is a, you know is clearly in the minds of uh, the mass consumer as well. We recently launched an authenticator app, which is in Play Store and the App Store, so that people can actually start to look at Viridium um, and start to use some of our biometric capabilities. Because look, you know, I'd love a wave of, uh, you know, of home users of, you know, home developers to integrate our software into what they build. You know, I'm a big proponent, you can tell, you know, of biometrics being as pervasive as possible and being used so that we can, you know, start to really have strong authentication and remove some of the worries and threats that we have online with lacks of transparency or, or lack of understanding about sometimes who we're interacting with. During these past three and a half, four years that that uh, this has all been around, that the company's been around, what are some of the difficulties that you've encountered in getting to this point, getting the company to this point? Yeah, so so obviously, you know, when you're you know, when you're breaking fresh snow, um, you know, there's always there's always apathy, um, and there's always lethargy for, for you know, for remaining still. Um, you know, big corporations are, you know, are challenged by, you know, by, you know, turnkey or breakthrough decisions. So, you know, we have to build a momentum of uh, of excitement and a momentum of trust that this is the right thing to do, uh, but not in a way that breaks too much glass as we go through the process. So, so, so there's been a big period of making sure that people understand the value. Uh, they understand the cost value as well as just the uh, user value um, and that they trust the outcome. And I think once we've you know, started to do that, and obviously we've commenced that work over the last couple of years. We're now able to identify where we sit in this market from a user case standpoint, 
and uh, and obviously adding more and more use cases to our uh, to our portfolio as we go. Okay, and and since we've been talking about difficulties, of course, we also need to talk about what comes to mind when you think of some of the main achievements that you guys have hit over these past few years, some of the big wins. Yeah, and you know it's been. Um, you know, it's been obviously pleasing to to have our product out with you know with you know in real clients. You know, we have you know clients like Nordea where we're you know deep in in utilization for for managing high confidential data. You know how they use biometrics to secure environments. You know, obviously things like Swift. You know, is a big area that we're continuing to work on to see how we can provide ring fenced information within the banking world. Uh, but obviously, some of the small steps as well, which you know aren't necessarily hugely public just yet, but will hopefully continue on the momentum, which is things like you know working with the social media um, firms to try and provide biometrics as a form of transparency, you know, for interaction. You know, I, you know, I'm a I'm a father, and clearly, I love the fact that I can put my software out into an environment where I can start to trust the users that my kids will be interacting with online. You know, great that we can work in banking, fabulous we can work in payments and, and start to try and remove some of the money laundering challenges that, that go on and continue that digitalization journey. But some of the things that make me super passionate are, uh, are around, you know, how do we provide a, a more, you know, a safer experience in an online environment where we can use biometrics as a form of trust um, and certification um, so that we can eradicate some of the sort of opaqueness that sometimes uh you know, exists in uh, in social media. And as far as how quickly uh, this will be adopted for the masses, do you think it'll be kind of a overall slow burn and all of a sudden it just kind of breaks wide or will this just be a kind of a slow and steady wins the race kind of a thing? Well, that's an, it's a really valid um, point. And, you know, I think, you know, clearly Apple's done a lot here to, to uh, advance the maturity and, and consumption of biometrics. You know, we're all actively using you know, you know, face ID and touch ID in a, in an everyday environment. In, you know, if we have a an iOS device, and equally some of the fingerprint scanners, if we're using Android. So I think that you know the, the big guys have certainly helped the the awareness uh, and certainly made people a little more comfortable with the utilization. Um, so I do see it's a great opportunity for it to really you know hit the skies, right? Um, you know, I think that there are you know a few uh, forces you know that that we're obviously always um, you know, beneficiaries of in some respects that are sometimes challenges. So, you know, breaches to companies and exposures to data and, you know, and even things like, you know, personal data being utilized or, or shared inappropriately. So not that we want to uh, capitalize on on the sort of market challenges and failures, but I think people are getting even further, ner- you know, even more nervous, let's say, uh, with, you know, with the way that they interact with data. We've also got policies like GDPR, which is, obviously ever prevalent on the 25th of May coming out, where we want to be able to understand how we use people's data in a more effective fashion. And obviously, biometrics can play a huge role in simplifying um, and also securing that. And I know you mentioned uh, the breaches, data breaches that we've had in the past at different points. Could a form of biometrics have prevented some of those breaches? I, so I would clearly say yes, right, as a CEO of a, of a company like Peridium. Um, but I think that it's a justified yes as well. Um, you know, I think if you if you imagine all the work that's gone in, and obviously I've seen this in some of my you know previous employers um, from an institutional standpoint, the dollars that have gone into you know protecting the uh, the outside walls of the companies, firewall rules, um, you know, at their best, 
some of the data um, heuristic understanding of interaction with infrastructures at its best, you know, firewall segregation and data. All of this stuff is at its optimum, right? You know, this is a fabulous world uh, that we've evolved into and the money that's gone into security has been exponentially growing. One of the things that hasn't been addressed, you know, is identity and, and access, which seems crazy, right? You know, the password's been around for 25 years um, and we're still using passwords to access content and data. Well, look, we've seen a lot of brute force attack here. We've also seen an ever complicating world where policy becomes, you know, out of the minds of the average user. And so, you know, if you make these things too difficult, the end user wants to make it more simplistic. So, you know, we've seen the joyous sticky notes on, on laptops for people to remember their passwords these days, right? Um, so, you know, I do believe that there is a, a you know, a, a place for biometrics in this from a, from a simplification standpoint. But simplification in this world will come with better security. Um, you know, it would be far better um, that we're controlling the access and the keys to the front door by using our biometrics than basically putting the keys to the door under the mat. So more simplistic, but but also more secure at the same time. I think it has to be that way. Um, you know, the challenge with with security, you know, in general is we want to make it more obscure and, and more complicated. Um, and we want to make it more complicated. We want to, want to make that attack vector more complex. Well, that, look, you know, the, if it comes to user interaction, like users are, you know, geared, you know, to make these things ultra complex, you know, 12 character passwords or, you know, you know, you know multitudes of different factor authentication measures. And, and I'm a big proponent of MFA, 2FA or multiple forms of authentication, but you need to make it in a way that the user can actually consume it. And it doesn't become a, you know, again, an abrasive action for them to be able to, to be able to access their content or their information. As soon as it becomes difficult, people simplify their own world, which obviously leaves doors open. And in terms of some of the developments or ideas that have come around over the years as, as you guys have been developing these, what are, what are some developments that maybe people come up with where you say, well, that's a little bit too out there for that to happen this year, but maybe in three or four years, we'd be able to do that. That's a really good point. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously as a technologist, you, you know, you never want to uh, constrain the, uh, the excitement and the opportunity. Um, look, I'd love, I'd love a world, uh, you know, where implicit and ex explicit authentication lives together harmoniously. Um, and I know that sounds like a, an incredibly trite statement, but imagine if you could have your behavior define some of your actions and, and, and access coupled with, you know, a step up for explicit so that you, you know, if a, if a, uh, a change of behavior takes place or if something is of high enough risk, then you're forced to try and, you know, drive uh, an explicit authentication. So I don't see that as a, as a world that's too far away. We're, we're kind of building that outcome medium to short term. I just want that to be consumed in the short to medium term as well as just built. So I, I see a great world where, you know, our banking apps are driven with a mixture of these explicit and implicit, you know, multi-factor auth, uh, you know, where you don't need to go visit anybody. You know, you can do everything in a digitalized world. You know, our, our children are growing up touching the screen of everything that they walk up to, um, and they should be able to, uh, you know, enable their digital experience, you know, to interact, to move from different companies, to set up new, um, you know, new clients or new environments in a really simplified fashion so that actually they can get on with what they're doing, right? You know, this is about, you know, simplifying the world 
but at the same time not forgetting that it should be about security. And so for Meridian, what does the roadmap for the company look like over the next 12 to 24 months? What can we expect to see? So lots more clients. Um, you know, clearly the, the topic du jour as the CEO is to continue the, the drive to, to, to win, uh, win and, and spread the good word. Um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll continue the, the, you know, the funding process to, to help do that as well, to accelerate. Um, so we'll see hopefully some good announcements around what we're doing to, to grow the company. Um, lots of good client announcements that we'll be able to talk about more actively over the next few weeks. Um, and also just broadening those use cases. You know, I think that the financial services clearly has a, you know, pending event that we're all working against, which is you know, securing the world securing the data, securing the cash, and making sure that they adhere to regulation. But I want to try and broaden this out to, to more, inter, more industries and more enterprises. You know, we should be doing more in pharmaceuticals. You know, we should be reducing the fraud of the, of the U.S. Um, uh, you know, US insurance policies on, on making sure that the right people get the right drugs administered. Um, you know, we should be, you know, using biometrics as a form of strong authentication and identification to be able to enable some of those those pieces. Again, you know, your your big game time Sunday should be delivered with an easy ticket delivery with your biometrics that you go sit in the stand of the giants and you're able to order from your seat using your biometrics and it's all paid for. You know, biometrics should be pervasive in all those forms and fashions. Um, and uh, there's there's really no, uh, there's no, no reason why that shouldn't happen in the next six to 12 months. Oh wow, that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty quick timeline. But I do but I do see where the applications are pretty much endless once you start to think about it. They should be. You're right. You know, and you know maybe I'm an optimistic CEO, right? Um, and uh, and I'm trying to drive change at a rapid rate because I think we have to. You know, I think if we if we let it slow burn, it will slow burn. Um, but actually, I think that this is a form of technology that really enhances the client experience. You know, it enhances um, our ability to be able to do more, um, secures our world. Um, you know, and I don't mean that to sound trite, but it really does secure the, the transaction process, ensures that we reduce the fraud. You know, thus, you know, why shouldn't we uh, really try and push the boundaries for its consumption and utilization? And so when thinking about Viridium, what would you like our listeners to have as the big takeaway when thinking about Viridium and what you guys are doing? Well, look, you know, I think that's, uh, you know, it's a really, uh, you know, really big question. And I think I'd, I'd urge your listeners to think about their biometrics. Um, you know, what we don't want to do at the same time as making this thing massively accessible is also um, kind of create an issue or a challenge where we're infringing upon people's personal data, personal biometrics. We're, we're at the same time trying to be you know, incredibly sensitive with the way that we store, manage, and use biometrics. So I'd urge your, your listeners to really think about that and ask the question. You know, we have a variety of different technologies at Meridian that supports, you know, being able to not drive the institution to store your biometrics. Many of them, I think, is to want to store my biometrics because they become, you know, a huge crosshair for a nation-state public attack. I'd urge your, your listeners to think about who takes responsibility? You know, should you do that? Should the institution you're working with, your your Googles, your Amazons, your Facebooks, your banks, etc., should they be the custodians? Or actually, is there an way where we could distribute those templates that nobody has full ownership and control? 
Uh, that's a world that I would feel far more comfortable living, where I'm not putting my full accountability, full ownership in, in and full trust, therefore, in one specific location. Okay. And for our listeners who are interested in finding out more information about you and the company and the work that you're doing in biometrics, what's the best way to get in contact? Uh, look, you know, I'd I ask everybody uh, to go to the website, www.vidumid.com. Uh, there's a huge amount of resources, uh, you know, on that website, you know, in terms of videos and what we're doing and some of the preliminaries uh, to try and help some of the other bank world. So there's a lot of great content on there. Uh, I'd love you to, you know, to reach out to us on the contact us uh, section of that uh, of that website, and we to talk to uh, to listeners more about it. Okay, well, great. Well, James, I just want to thank you for coming onto the podcast and giving us all this great information. Just thank you for your time. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.